need a long list before we find ourselves woefully inadequate. We don't need these eight things or so to help us see that we are missing the mark. And that even on our best days, we find ourselves selfish or irritable or bitter or self-centered. No person here, including the pastor, would want his thought life on display even from just the last two or three hours. And so our hope, our only hope, is that love has entered the world in another form and has entered our hearts through the gospel and is transforming us into your great likeness. And we are thankful that your mercies are new every morning. That even in our unfaithfulness, you remain faithful to us. So we confess our weakness. We pray for the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. And we trust in your faithfulness alone. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in a series in the book of Jeremiah. And this morning we are on Jeremiah chapter 20. And if you were to put Jeremiah's life on a chart, this is the lowest point of the chart. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7 through the end of the chapter, verse 18 Jeremiah has a lot of difficulties ahead of him, but this emotionally is the bottom peak, that's the right, the bottom of the valley uh, for Jeremiah in the book of Jeremiah. So let's uh, stand as we read this passage together, Jeremiah chapter 20, beginning in verse 7. O Lord, you have deceived me. And I was deceived. You are stronger than I am. You have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock to all, all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has come for me. A reproach, a derision all day long. If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more of his name. There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side, denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts who test the righteousness, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For for to you have I committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. For he has delivered the life of the needy from the land of the evildoers. Cursed be the day on which I was born. The day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon. Because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been a grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? 
You may be seated and let's take a moment to consider the word of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah. And it will be helpful for you to have your Bibles open, if you don't already, to our passage as we pick up on what God would want us to know through the prophet this morning. The Dark Knight is not only the title of the sermon, it's the title of the most recent Batman movie. And you don't need to see the movie to know the storyline. Because all Batman movies are pretty much the same. You put on the Batman spotlight that shines over Gotham City, telling Batman whoever he is or wherever he is, we need help. We're we're asking for the caped crusader to come in and save Gotham City from some evil doer. And so Batman puts on his special cape. He has cool things like the Batmobile and the Bat motorcycle. And he swoops in as he always does. He saves the city from evil. And so in this particular movie, he is the Dark Knight dressed in darkness, and the night, the person who saves the city. When we get to Jeremiah chapter 20, we read about another man taking a stand against the forces of evil. And this time it's the person, Jeremiah, and he is standing against the forces of evil in the city of Jerusalem. And we're surprised, perhaps, to find when we're studying through Jeremiah, the forces of evil are emanating from within the church. It's not the the evil culture out there. Jeremiah is not preaching to the culture. Jeremiah has come in and he's zeroing in on the people in the pews. And he's telling this people... The reason the nation is going down is because you people in the pews are going down. And so that's his fight. The people, God's own people, prefer created things to the Creator. And and they've spent their time sort of doing the, 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 the church routine... They've got the right words down, but they're not really living it out, and therefore the culture is being dragged down with them. But when you get to Jeremiah, there's no hero ending. Jeremiah doesn't save the city. (laughs) Jeremiah doesn't even save himself. In the end of the book, Jerusalem is destroyed and Jeremiah is destroyed. And so when when we're driving towards the end of the book, there's not this great moment at the end that it just all kind of gets resolved for Jeremiah. He gets taken down to Egypt and probably beheaded. And so Jeremiah is no dark night, K-N-I-G-H-T. But he experiences very dark nights. Some people would say a a dark night of the soul. And we're peering into one of those dark nights here in this chapter. You remember that in uh, last week, and I'm happy that these guys decided to come back and sit on the front row without any kind of shielding. We had this pot which I broke. And this was part of Jeremiah's sermon illustration. Jeremiah finishes his sermon out of chapter 18 and chapter 19. And he specifically at the very end of the sermon, if you remember, he took the leadership to the south gate and he smashed this pot. And he says, this is what's going to happen to the nation because you all, you the leaders, you the people in the church, you're not moving in the right direction. And so he's standing there with this broken piece of pottery and word begins to travel fast. Oh, Jeremiah, he had a hot sermon today. And the news starts going back to the temple And it goes back to the chief priests because they understand they got named in some way in Jeremiah's sermon. 
And if you read chapter 20, 1 through 6, you see that the, the, the news reached the chief temple officer, a guy named Pashur. And Pashur didn't like to be in Jeremiah's sermon. He didn't want to be fingered as one of the problems that's happening. And Jeremiah, or Pashur, also didn't like sermons that made people feel uncomfortable. Pashur was the kind of person who wanted the feel-good sermons. Let's talk about the love of God, let's talk about the peace of God, but let's not talk about the wrath of God. And so Jeremiah was like a broken record. He just had sort of one sermon that he repeated every week, and Pashur was getting frustrated. Why can't Jeremiah find another theme? And so he thought, well, you know, it's time to preach, it's time to, to, to give the prophet a lesson. Maybe we can kind of quiet him down. Maybe we can kind of shut him up. And that's his intention in these first six verses. Jeremiah is arrested. He's beaten. And then he's placed in stocks. These aren't the stocks that you might find at a carnival, you know, where you stick your hands through and you stick your head through. This is the kind of stock that takes your body and twists it in an unnatural position and then just holds it there. So Jeremiah has been preaching the truth and he gets beaten and he gets twisted and set in prison for a night. The next morning, Jeremiah is released. And when he's trying to readjust, he's, he's looking at Pashur. Verse 3, this is what he says. The Lord does not call your name Pashur, but terror on every side. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. They shall fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on, and I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall carry them captive to Babylon and shall strike them down with a sword. Moreover, I will give all the wealth of the city and all its gains and all its prized belongings and all the treasures of the kings of Judah into the hand of the enemies who shall plunder them and seize them and carry them into Babylon. And you, Pashur, you... And all that dwell in your house shall go into captivity. To Babylon you shall go, and there you shall die, and there you shall be be buried, and you and all of your friends to whom you have prophesied falsely. When I read that, I wanted to go, Yes! Give it to him, Jeremiah! What a, what a lion! What a fortress! He's, he's been in this stockade. He's been twisted. And he's, he's focused. He, he comes in and he, he sees the enemy and he says, Here's what the Lord says. And I just wanted like a, an Olympic gold medal go, Yes! Finally, somebody's standing up and giving it to the right person. And that is exactly what happens. But when you read these six verses, you don't know all about Jeremiah. These six verses only give you an external account. They tell you what happened, who, what, when, where. But when you turn the page and you get to verse 7, you get an internal account. Jeremiah zeroes in on the condition of his heart. What's happening on the inside? And there's not quite as much cheering at this point. There's actually several passages in the book of Jeremiah that you sort of get behind the facts and into the feelings. Scholars will label them as confessions or laments or complaints. 
But I, I think these are helpful for us because it gives us an emotional, a, a realistic, emotional account for the people who follow after God. It really helps me to see verse 7 through verse 18 and not to just stop at verse 6. Because if you're following after God, you're going to at some point have tremendous emotional conflict. And you're not going to just be the lion or the fortress that Jeremiah appeared to be at the end of verse 6. You're going to feel like verse 7 and verse 8 and verse 9. And so it's helpful. Jeremiah does us a great favor in showing us what's on the inside. And I love this quote from Kathleen Norris. Part of it's on the front of your bulletin. It says this, One morning... I was so worn out by the emotional roller coaster of chapter 20 that after prayers, I walked to my apartment and I went back to bed. (laughs) I wonder, I'm not asking for a hand raising here or a survey, but I wonder how many of you all have encountered such emotional turmoil that just thinking about it, you say, I just want to go back to bed. Have you ever felt that way? You just don't want to face it. It's just, it's too much. It's up and down. And what I would prefer is just, I just want to go back to bed. And that's what Kathleen Norris felt like when she's reading Jeremiah chapter 20. And I hope you're not disappointed this morning that I'm not just going to end now and send you back to bed. I think there are some better answers than just going back to bed. And we'll see some of those provided for us in this passage. Jeremiah helps us. He gives us some hints. He gives us some clues so that when you or I experience this dark night in ourselves, whether that's happening to you right now or it's going to happen to you sometime in the future, he begins to help us to know how can we make progress through that time in our own lives. And there's three things that I want to look at here in this passage. One, as I just want to examine the cause of Jeremiah's emotional conflict. What were some of the things that happened to Jeremiah that created this prayer in chapter 7 or verse 7? Some of the things that happened to him are going to be some of the things that you could anticipate happening to you. I want to look briefly at just the characteristic of emotional conflict and conclude with I think some hints or clues in the text about progress. How do you make progress through the emotional conflict? How do you make progress through your dark night? So let's look at those three. First, the cause of Jeremiah's emotional conflict. And the text mentions several. I'll just mention a few here. First, the, the first part we see immediately is Jeremiah has unmet expectations. Look back, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 1 at Jeremiah's call. Chapter 1, verse 17. We talked about this now a number of months ago. And this is the call, this is part of the call that God gives to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I have commanded you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And behold, pay attention, Jeremiah. I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings, against its officials like Pashur, against its priests and the people of the land. You're going you're to be an iron pillar, Jeremiah. You're going to be a fortified city. And trust me, they will fight against you. Verse 19. But they shall not prevail, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Now, now, just for a moment, put yourself in Jeremiah's situation. This is the call. This is the, 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 what he's running off of. This is what's giving him the, the energy to move forward. This call back in chapter 1. I know, Jeremiah, they're going to be beating against you, but you're going to be a fortified city. 
and I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to deliver you. And Jeremiah must, at some point, have been scratching his head, saying, Do you remember the promises? I mean, I can remember them. I wrote them down, God. I've got them right here. And in case you haven't seen, it sure looks like they're prevailing. A night in the stocks appears prevailing to me. I mean, the armor all protection plan that you promised and laid out in chapter 1 is just not working. I sort of have this picture in my mind of one of these sci-fi movies where you have the, the robot or the, the guy that comes up and he's got the force field. You remember that? And whoever shoots at him, it just bounces off. And I, I think Jeremiah must have felt like, well, I'm going to go out there and yes, people are going to be firing at me, but I'm going to have this sort of divine force field. And whenever anything gets too close, it's ding, ding, it's all going to be okay. And he gets in the stocks and says, you know, it looks like the force field came down. They are prevailing, and I'm not being delivered. And so Jeremiah has this conflict of unmet expectations. And so he complains very strongly, verse 7, O Lord, you have deceived me. One translation says, you have seduced me. And they use that word because the word for deceived or seduced has a sexual connotation. It's as if Jeremiah is saying, hey, I thought we were married. And what it feels like is that you just came in, used me, and tossed me away. I mean, this is a strong statement to make to God. Jeremiah had been obedient, and he'd gotten beaten. Jeremiah was sticking with the truth, and he got twisted. And I'm wondering if you've ever felt like Jeremiah. Hey, I'm the one who's doing the right thing. I'm not being proud here. I'm just the one who's sticking to the Word. I'm the one who's doing what you told me to do. I'm the one who's sort of living under this promise that you you gave me. I'm doing all the right things. And all the wrong people are getting what they want. You ever felt that way? (laughs) Amen. And so when that happens, a conflict arises. You have unmet expectations. There's this turmoil that roils inside of you. And you begin to ask, is God for real? I mean, He's out there. Can He do anything? Those are the kinds of questions that Jeremiah is dealing with in his dark night. And look, Jeremiah is not the only person in the Bible who encountered this kind of emotional turmoil. Moses, Exodus chapter 5, he's saying this to the Lord. O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. Where are you? I'm following the plan. You don't appear to be following with me. David Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? This is David. This is the man after God's own heart. Habakkuk, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? You hear? These are the same kinds of prayers that Jeremiah is experiencing. You might remember the great missionary Adoniram Judson who left his home in America and he went to India and then on to Burma. And he leaves with his wife and while they're there and they're trying to get this ministry established, she gets pregnant and she gives birth to their daughter. And just soon after that, he gets arrested. Unfairly in prison, beaten for several months. He gets so worn down, he almost dies. 
and his wife and his daughter get so worn down because of the experience, they almost die. Until Judson is finally let out of prison, and then he gets the privilege of serving his wife and his daughter for the next few months as they both die. At the two-year anniversary of his wife's death, Judson is living in the jungle in a hut. The great missionary has been reduced to a hut in the jungle, and he dug his own grave, and he would just sit there day after day, looking into the grave, waiting for his own death. And he wrote back this comment, God to me is the great unknown. I believe in him. But I find him not. These are real, deep, emotional conflicts these people are experiencing. And if you have not yet experienced one, praise the Lord. But I'm here to tell you, if you live long enough, there is one on the horizon. Jesus Christ, Matthew 27, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, what happened? Darkness. And this isn't just the sun went out. This is the darkest day known to the planet. And what is the cry of Jesus at this moment? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the very moment I need you. And at that moment, I'm not finding you. That's one of the things that creates this prayer for Jeremiah. Another one is he is betrayed by friends. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. That's a sort of play on words. Remember, he looked at Pashur and said, terror is on every side. And then when his friends look at him and said, oh, there's Mr. Terror on every side. You know, because it didn't happen immediately, so his friends had turned against him. It says, they're waiting for my fall. I mean, Jeremiah must have been thinking, you know, I don't need enemies. <laughs> These are my friends. And what, one of the things that was disoriented to Jeremiah were the people on his team, he found out, were stabbing him in the back. They weren't on his team like he had thought. I remember some years ago, I, I, I was a part of a ministry team. And it was a very difficult time in ministry. And in the midst of that time, one of the persons on the team compared me to Saddam Hussein. <laughs> wow, okay. Appreciate that encouragement. I mean, I mean, have you ever felt like that? Hey, I thought you were one of the go-to people. That's what Jeremiah must have felt like. You're, hey, you're the go-to person. When, when the chips are down and then he finds out somebody behind him is not fighting back to back, they turn around and they're starting to push the sword through Jeremiah. Jeremiah feels abandoned by God, he's feeling abandoned by his friends, and he feels trapped. Verse 9. I just love Jeremiah's reasoning, not because it's right, but it's what I would do. Just so practical. What, what is getting me in, pro- in trouble? Preaching. Therefore, stop preaching. I mean, that's what he decided. I'm just not going to say anything. I mean, this, this kind of stuff is getting me in problems, and so I can just eliminate that. I don't know if you're married to somebody like that. Not always a pleasurable thing, but they say a problem. Okay, we're just going to cut that out. It's just, it's just not that simple, Jeremiah found out. Because he, he feels trapped. He's, he's getting burned in either way he goes. If he says something, Pasher comes in and puts his feet to the fire. If he doesn't say something, God puts his feet to the fire. And so he's trapped. He's feeling like this is a no-win situation. Either way I go, I'm going to get burned. And so that can cause an emotional conflict. Feeling like there's really no way out of my current situation. They're both bad results. Either way that I go. And finally, verse 18 
Jeremiah concludes that his life has been a waste. I mean, why, why did I come out of my mother's womb? Put yourself in Jeremiah's situation. He's sent to a crumbling nation. He's drafted. No, not voluntary. He's drafted. He's sent into this nation that's crumbling. He's basically given one sermon to preach for 40 years. And after 40 years, he concludes nobody has listened. (laughs) I mean, that's a bad day. I mean, I can appreciate that as the pastor. There are days you think, hey, I, don't, I just don't think anyone was listening. That's one day. Jeremiah's experienced this for 40 years. Nobody, nobody has listened to this pastor. And he is concluding in chapter 20 that what he feared is inevitable, and that is God's wrath is coming on these people. And he's saying to himself the same thing you would say, the same thing I would say. If this was going to happen in the end, why did I have to do this? This is a waste. I've wasted my life. I could have done a bunch of other things. If this was inevitable, we'll just make it happen, God. I don't don't need to be the prophet who watches it happen. If you've ever wrestled with this kind of deep disappointment with God, if you've ever felt betrayed by your friends, if you've ever felt like, I'm in a no-win situation, or you began something on a real high that you thought something was going to happen and you realize, you know, it's a waste. Nobody's paying attention. If you felt any of those things, then you have some sense of how Jeremiah feels in this passage. But he's feeling all of those things at one time. And so this is Jeremiah's dark night for sure. Secondly, there's a characteristic of emotional conflict. Again, I think helpful because you may feel like, hey, yeah, that's me. And again, it might just be helpful to know other people experience the same kind of thing. But if you were to chart Jeremiah just in this chapter... I mean, he has no plateaus. It's rocketing up and then skyrocketing down. You ever had an emotional time like that in your life? I just can't find an even keel. It's all just straight up or straight down. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 3. Jeremiah looks and stares down past shore. I mean, you know, he was just rocketing up. As soon as that ends, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7, he feels deceived by God. I mean, right when that moment is over, he just takes a nosedive. And he nosedives for a few verses, and then verse 11 it says, Okay, I'm trusting in the Lord. It's like, okay, I'm pulling out of this right before I crash. I'm pulling out. I'm trusting in the Lord. He's, he's going to be like a dreaded warrior. I, I'm not going to have to worry about it because he's going to protect me. And he's, he's gaining height. He's gaining altitude. And then he says, sing to the Lord like he just breaks through and the sun's always going to shine. He goes, yes, I finally reached it. And then you turn to the very next verse. Cursed be the day I was born. You ever felt like that? Just your emotions way up, way down, way up, way down. When you're in this emotional conflict, that's, that's how you can feel. I found it interesting that in my study there are a number of commentaries that look at verse 13 and verse 14 and say, you know, they, they can't go together. They're not the same, they're not a part of the same prayer. The prayer ends at 13 and then Jeremiah says verse 14 some other place and then the writer just sort of inserts it in here. And they they say it because you can't go from verse 13 to verse 14. That's their conclusion. (laughs) I want to go, hey, I can go from verse 13 to 14. I don't have any problem with this. This is not confusing to me at all how Jeremiah, this man, can go from skyrocketing to deep depression in just a sentence. 
I'm comforted by this, that a great man of God can have this wide swing. That it doesn't make me odd or abnormal. I'm not thinking, gosh, am I the only one who thinks like this? I can't think like this. I'm the pastor. And it is so helpful to look at a real man of God who's standing here and saying, this is the way I feel. And I am comforted by knowing that. But I am frustrated by Jeremiah in verse 18. And the reason I'm frustrated is because he ends the chapter with a question. And so I'm reading furiously to chapter 21, and it doesn't say anything about his prayer. He's ending going down. And I'm saying, I'm going down, but I'm looking for the bounce. Where is it, Jeremiah? How do I get through that darkness? Give me some help. And I think there's some clues in the text that we can find. When I get to heaven, I'll find Jeremiah and say, what happened? And why didn't you put some insert in there? But I think we can find some help in our third point about how do we make progress through this emotional conflict. I mean, maybe the chapter ends that way for a purpose. That you're going to have to work your way through. It's not something that just, oh, that verse does it and it turns the light on. I just have not had many experiences like that. But working through it, making progress through it. And I think there are several things. One, progress, I think, is made through prayer. This is a prayer. It's not recording facts. It's a prayer. We're we're getting inside the prayer closet of Jeremiah, and we're hearing what he has to say. I love how Eugene Peterson describes the prayer. Jeremiah didn't like his situation. So he yelled at Pashur, and after that he yelled at God. He looks at Pashur and says, this is what's going to happen to you. And then when he turns around, he says, where are you? This isn't just turning to God with your hands folded, and you get your eyes closed, and you're sitting in your nice, comfortable chair, you get your prayer voice going, and that's not that kind of prayer. Jeremiah doesn't know that kind of prayer. He's in a relationship with the living God. Just like you're in a relationship with your husband or wife or your friend. And you might turn to them and say, I don't get you. You ever heard that? And so Jeremiah is engaged with God. He's not sitting there sorting through his feelings on his own and saying, gosh, when I figure it out, then I'm going to go to God and say, well, these are the lessons I learned and all that kind of thing. He's not doing that. He's saying, God, I don't know who you are. I'm not getting you right now. Where are you? He's free to open himself up to God. And God is welcoming that kind of prayer life. Come to me, all you who are smart enough to figure it out on your own. No, that's not what it says, in case you have a different translation. Come to me, all you who are heavy burdened. Burdened with what? Burdened that I can't figure out God right now. That's one of the burdens I have. I have a lot of others, but one of them sometimes is, where are you? That's my burden. I'm bringing it to you. I'm giving it to you. I'm processing this with you. So helpful. So happy Jeremiah helps us with this. All of our disappointments, all of our discouragement, all of our problems are meant to bring before the holy God, not to keep them to yourself. Or ask a few friends and sort them out and bring answers to God. Bring your questions there. Secondly, Jeremiah doesn't make progress here, but we're not going to find ourselves in this situation many times that all of our friends have betrayed us. And so when you're in a dark place, you need a friend who can sit in the darkness with you. You need someone who's going to pray for you and tell you the truth. 
Somebody not I I was praying for you last week. I need prayer. I need to hear your voice and I need it right now. That's the kind of prayer I'm talking about. Somebody who's standing there praying to God on your behalf and you are hearing their prayer. You're going to be encouraged by that and they are going to speak the truth to you. Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him. I was recently talking to a friend who had spent basically the last 12 months in a dark night, been a long night. And they seemed to be making some progress, so I said, well, you know, I don't see anything obvious, but it seems like things are sort of moving in a more positive direction. What would you attribute this progress toward? So I'm writing this down. This is the first thing they said. I have a friend who contacts me every day. I have a friend who contacts me every day. And they pray for me and they tell me a truth out of God's Word. If you do not have a friend like that, you desperately need one. And you may not feel like you need one right now. Because you may feel like, hey, it's all okay right now. But when you get in your dark night, you need someone who can sit right there, not give you a bunch of answers, and yeah, do A, B, and C, and I think that really helps. To just say, I'm praying for you, and I'm going to remind you of truth. You can get involved in a journey group, you can get involved in a community group, there are other places you can find this, but I'm encouraging you, if you want to make progress, that's one of the key elements. Progress is made the third way here, and that is singing. So you're going, I'm not going to make much progress there. I get depressed when I sing and hear my voice. But, But you know when you sing, what are you doing when you sing? You ever thought about that? I mean, what are we doing? We're singing these songs. We're singing, I don't have a good voice, so I, don't, I stand next to the guy who does, and I kind of whisper, uh, I look at some of the words. I mean, what, what, what is, why do you have this huge book of psalms in the middle of the Bible that are all songs? What, what's, what's the value in that? One of the greatest values is reminding yourself of the truth. To sing it again and again, to to get it. Holy Spirit, come. Hallelujah. Grace is going to reign eternally. I need to be reminded of that. And I need to sing it over and over and over. I need to be reminded in my soul of the truth when it's dark. Because in the darkness, you do not decide what truth is. In the darkness, you're not supposed to decide what's the truth. In the darkness, you hold on to the truth. You are not going to figure out what the truth is when there's no light around. You've got to figure out what the truth is when the light is on. And when it gets dark, you say, I am going to hold on to this no matter what. That's what happens in the darkness. And you begin to remind yourself through singing, through remembering the truth to say, this is the truth. This is the truth. Paul and Silas, they get beaten unjustly. They get thrown into prison. They're in the inner dungeon of the dungeon. And what happens? They break out into song. Unbelievable. Why? Because they're so happy? I doubt it. Because they needed to be reminded of the truth? Yes. And they sung hymns to remind them of what the truth is. In your insert about the Chinese people, a person, and it's explained in here, I'll let you read it later, 
but they, I don't know if it's a girl or a guy that doesn't say, but they, they're trying to transport, transport Bibles. They get arrested. They get put into prison. They're put into prison for three years, and from 5 a.m. to 10 p.m., they have to stand and stare at a wall. From 5 a.m. in the morning to 10 p.m. at night, they have to stand and stare at a wall. Now, what are you going to do at that moment? You know what they did? They preached the gospel to the wall. I just stood there and I just preached the gospel. I'm reminding myself of what's true. This isn't, this isn't all of reality that I'm seeing right now. It's, it's terrible. I don't like it. It's difficult. But how am I going to get through this? I'm going to preach the gospel to the wall. And it's going to bounce back. And who is it going to hit first? Me. I need to hear it again. And consequently, all the 80 people in that prison were saved by this one person preaching the gospel to the wall. And you may be facing a wall in your life. And you may be saying, I don't get you. This is a nose-to-win situation. I've had unmet expectations. And you're going to have to remind yourself of the truth over and over again. Finally, and this thought really came from Philip Ryken in his commentary of where Jeremiah could have been helped. And we are helped by looking at it. Ryken says this, Jeremiah traces troubles back to the womb, but he didn't go back far enough. God could trace his promises back before the womb. He had a purpose for Jeremiah's life since before the beginning of time. The prophet needed to be reminded that from all of eternity the Lord had set him apart for salvation and ministry. You see what happens in an emotional conflict, an emotional toil, turmoil? We, We trace our problems back, but we never go back far enough. We just go back to, oh, okay, that's when it started. And at the worst night, you just say, it really started when I was born. As if your span of time is all there is. God only can work with you in this little span of time. And, and, and we can appreciate Jeremiah's prayer. We can appreciate his pain. But we need to see that his cry of desperation was woefully short-sighted. Jeremiah was limiting the value of his life, the promises of God, to the span of his own life. I'm judging all of my value in my 40 or 60 or 80 years of service. That's not true. I'm judging God and His promises on my 40 or 60 or 80 years of life. That is not true. God is not limited to that time. Both for your usefulness and His promises. But, but in pain, you get so focused on yourself and so determined of, well, well, my little lifespan, I've got to figure that all out. And God's saying, there's something so much bigger here, Jeremiah. If you could just get on a much bigger stage, you could see something else is happening. And Jeremiah just can't see it because he, he doesn't trace his, his roots back far enough. Now, he should have been able to because he could go back to chapter 1 and he could remember the, the promises of God that before creation, I, I formed you together in your mother's womb. I had a hand in your, your creation, Jeremiah. And my promises are going to extend eternally. I think we get a hint of that when we come to the cross. I mean, when Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not just crying out in some moment of desperation. Although I'm certain he's 
feeling that moment of desperation. He's also crying out to eternity for information. You see, he's not just focused on himself, even in this difficult time. He's focused on eternity. And he's saying to you and to me, I have been eternally forsaken so you can be eternally forgiven. And so when he's crying out in his desperation, you have forsaken me. He's proclaiming something all over creation saying, but you're going to forgive them. I have a much bigger picture of what's happening than just right now. And it could be that you're just caught up in what's happening right now. Thinking God can only work right now. And He might have a plan for your suffering that extends way out beyond your life. Way out beyond your life. And you may end your life at Jeremiah 20, 18. That could happen to you. But when you get on the other side of eternity, then you can say, oh my God, you are so much greater than my questions. And you are operating eternally in my life. Jeremiah is so helpful and so practical. You're going to have unmet expectations. You're going to have people on your own team turn against you. You're going to forget the truth in the darkness. You're going to get focused in on your timeline like that's all that God can do. And we need Jeremiah to help us reorient our thinking to the truth. Lord, I pray for these people. I'm so thankful for these words from Jeremiah. And and I know that in this crowd there are some people who are in the middle of their dark night. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use this word to encourage them, to help them make progress. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers even in their desperation. Be with your people, I pray. Lord, as we celebrate now giving, we give because you're a giver. We don't give because we have, because everything we have is a gift. We give because you're a giver. And I pray that we would give with the right heart. Understanding your incredible mercy and grace towards us. In Jesus' name, amen.